Now I'm going to bring on this week's guest, Andy Barnes. We're going to talk about his book, The Dark Eclipse. Good morning, Andy. Good morning. Thanks for calling in. As I mentioned, I felt like your book was perfectly aligned with my show, Get the Funk Out. Um, How did The Dark Eclipse come about? Well, I've been trying to write this book about my brother, Mike, who committed suicide 25 years ago now. So I've been trying to write this book for about 20 years just to try to understand why he committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And as it turned out, after I finished the book, it also to help me understand how I survived a very toxic childhood that both Mike and I lived through. Uh, So really, in the end, helped me as well. Um, um, to figure out what was going on and how I survived uh, this um, toxic childhood. And the way I I came to it is that a friend of mine, a mentor of mine, asked me, why don't you start looking at the facts surrounding your brother's death, and then maybe you can come to some understanding. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. Um, As I mentioned, I lost a friend of mine about eight years ago, and I feel like part of my healing process was becoming a detective and understanding yeah. all the people in her circle and yeah. how they felt, what they said, what they didn't say, uh, yeah. you know, and uh, how they said it and kind of putting the pieces together. And I, sometimes I feel like there is a pattern to someone from a very young age always is missing something and they're spending their life searching for it and they're really unhappy. Yeah, yeah I think th- that for me was... You know, my family doesn't talk about suicide, doesn't talk about my brother Mike, so I really couldn't do the kind of investigatory work you're talking about, that is talking to people. Mm-hmm. I really had to go find the documents. You know, I looked at his suicide note, I had that. Okay. The police reports, the autopsy, all these documents, and try to piece together the reason he committed suicide. And did you find the reason? Well, it, it's complicated because Mike had, um, he lived in New York, and he had created this entirely different story about his life. So he told his friends that he was an only child. He, he's not. He grew up in a, we grew up in a family of, of seven boys and one girl. Whoa. Yeah. He said that he told uh, uh, his colleagues that his, he was an orphan. My parents are dead. They're not. Mm-hmm. So he made up this fiction. He tried to embody this fiction, and I think in the end he just couldn't. He couldn't. Um, he couldn't live that life, and so his world just collapsed on him. I should also say that my brother Mike in our family was the golden child. He was the one, the smartest of us, or at least the way my family understood intelligence. Mm-hmm. He went to University of Notre Dame. He went to Duke Law School. He was a lawyer on Wall Street. So he didn't face a lot of adversity, and when he did, he didn't know how to deal with it. Right. Tell me about the structure of the book, because as I mentioned off-air, I thought it was really great the way you did this, uh, you know, as far as putting this all together. Yeah, the structure is I've taken seven essays or pieces of text, and I've written essays about around those essays or texts, and together it creates a memoir or a narrative thread that runs throughout the whole, the whole book, although it's in seven different pieces. And I tell people it's a quick read, but it's certainly not an easy read. Right. You know what? I want to back up one second. You said your brother said he was an orphan. Yeah. Um, you know, it seemed like he just wanted to forget about his backstory. 
he did. He wanted to reinvent himself. He wanted to. He didn't want to be the person he was. In fact, I start this book um, with the very first document, which, which is his suicide note. Mm-hmm. And in the suicide note, he talks about you know he was a gay man. I'm a gay man. He was talking about he wishes that he could be married, have children, live back in Indianapolis with the rest of my brothers who are married with children, and so. He wanted that life, but he could never have that life. And I think that was part of why he was trying to create a new kind of fiction, a new kind of a life to inhabit, rather than embody the life that he had, that is, as a gay man. Uh, it, it, he, there was a lot of internal homophobia that he um, had that came from our childhood. But back up a second. Was he accepted as a gay man because maybe he wanted something you know, to live this life, but he felt like people wouldn't accept him. Well, my family, my family knew uh, that Mike and I were gay. Yeah. Uh, he, he had a, in New York. He had a, a lot of gay friends. He was not out at work. Mm-hmm. He was closeted at work. Um, but you know, my father, who was studying to be a Trappist monk before he left, and a year later married my mother and started having eight children. He created my father a very strict household, a very strict um, uh, uh, place for us to grow up, and being gay was not part of that. Right. Indeed, in the book, I, I tell this, this story that my mother and father and I went to, to identify Mike in the morgue in Manhattan, and as we were waiting, my father was pacing back and forth, and he knew that Mike and I were gay, and he came up to me and pointed a finger at me and said, anyone who lives this kind of lifestyle deserves to die this way. So wow. that's the kind of toxicity yes. that we had to, we had to uh, live in as children. In the end, I was fortunate because I faced a lot of adversity in my, in my life in my, as a child. So I, I understood how to survive mm-hmm. and how to, and that I had to get out of that toxic environment and remain out of there and keep boundaries and borders around my family. And, and that's what I've done to survive. So I'm going to interject a couple things. This sure. is completely, as I mentioned, in line with my show, because I believe, you know, we all go through these ups and downs, these funks, professional, yep. personal, whatever, and some people cannot find their way out, which is awful, and then other yep. people slowly, even if it's one little step, find their way out, and it's a process. And That's right. the other thing is, sometimes people in your life are really toxic, and they could be family, Yep. And you have to make the decision, I believe, to save yourself no matter what anyone says or pressures you that, oh, it's yep. family. But no. That's know. exactly right. When I, I knew, uh, when I was in my teens and 20s, I had also attempted suicide a couple of times, and I had checked myself into mental institutions, and I knew that the environment that I was living, that is in Indianapolis, was toxic to me, mm-hmm. and I had to get out of there. So I started to make a plan. I didn't leave right away. Yeah. I started to make a plan to get out. And when I was about to move, I didn't tell my family until three days before I left. Because I knew the pressure they would give me, and they did. They you know, said, if you leave, you'll die. If you move, I moved to Washington, D.C., my mm-hmm. first place. You know, it's very, you, you, <laughs> you, you'll have a terrible life, blah, blah, blah. And I had to not listen to them and just move yes. and make the move. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, you and you you just have to like I said, save yourself and yep. cuz toxic people will suck the life out of you. 
toxic people. And the interesting thing is, people who know my brothers and sisters and my mother and father, they're not mean people. Yes. They're, they're nice people. But for me, I have to keep a distance. I have to keep boundaries with them or I'll get sucked right back into that toxicity. Right. And for them, for me, the toxicity is my family believes uh, foremost uh, that the most important thing in life is to have children. Mm-hmm. That's it. I don't have children. I don't plan to have children. Okay. So and you're not having children. <laughs> no, I'm not having children. Yeah. But for them, so for me to be in that pressure cooker is just too toxic for me. For them, yeah. it's fine. You know what I believe in? Unconditional love. Yeah. So, you know, let's say you have a teen and they're struggling and they, you know, really they feel like they're gay and they have no one to talk to and they're struggling and they, yeah. and they won't talk and they're shutting you out. And I just feel like if parents could just love unconditionally because yeah. what's, what's, what's more important, having a relationship with your child and I feel like they can be open with you or just standing strong with your beliefs and having no relationship. That's right. And, that, and that's, that's the kind of choice my father, my mother's different. I have a close relationship with my mother, but my father, that's the choice he made. Yeah. He made a choice to stick by his morals, his religion. And even if that meant that he lost two sons, it wow. didn't, you know, of course, my father had a bevy of sons. So to lose two, you know, Unbelievable. he still had five left. So what does your family think of this book that you wrote? That's a good question because I don't know that they know I wrote it oh. because part of my, again, part of my, um, my survival is that I don't share all my life with yes. them. I'm very selective of what I share with them. Definitely. <laughs> and I did not share this book because had I done that before I written, wrote this book, I would not have been able to write it because they, they would have thrown everything at me to, to keep me quiet. Right. So that's an example of... Yes, I can still uh, engage with my family, but on my terms, yes. not on their terms. I know that my, I have 19 nieces and nephews. Whoa. My, <laughs> I have, it's a big family. I know that many of them know that I've written this book. Yes. Um, a couple of them have read it and love it, mm-hmm. uh, but they have known me and, and, and my husband, David. We've been married for 26 years. They've That's known nice us day. as a couple their entire life, so yeah. we're just part of family to them. Yeah. And the next generation is far more accepting to people who yes, are other. I was going to say that. Than yeah. my generation is. So some of my nieces and nephews have read it, and they find it tough, but they, um, they liked it. But I don't know if my brothers or sister or my parents know that I've written this book. Well, how does it feel? Here it is, December 31st, 2018. Yep. How does it feel, the end of the year, you wrote this? Um, do yep. you feel... I mean, you wait, said you waited about 20 years to do this. Yeah, I tried. I had like five different versions of this book over the last 20 years. But you, you needed to do this. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. And the reason I needed to do this was for this reason. My brother Mike, who I really did worship and adore, he still lives with me. He lives in my brain, in my memory. Mm-hmm. And when I get to those dark times in my life, like everybody does, his voice used to sort of kind of get in the way, saying, you know what, life's too tough, do what I did. But writing this book allowed me to put a boundary around him as well. Right. And say, you are part of my past, you are part of my memory, you have no say in the way I live my life today. That's right. And that, for me, has been a huge help. Yes. Yeah. What advice would you give to people that are struggling? Well, the first advice is if someone out there is suicidal right now, they have to call and get help. And there's a, there's a national suicide hotline, 1-800-273-TALK. Mm-hmm. And if you know someone who's struggling, a friend or family member, the best thing you can do, call them. Talk to them. Communicate with them. 
That's the best thing. And again, as we talked about earlier, if you live in a toxic environment, start today to plan how to get out of that environment. Oh, completely, because your whole life will change. Uh, And mine certainly did, absolutely. Yeah, and it might feel like the darkest time ever, but I always say, and it sounds so, you know, like a Hallmark card, but through that dark time, there'll be light, and you just look for that light, and it'll get brighter and brighter, but you have to go through that mess to get to the good stuff. And let me tell you, if I, if I was still uh, back in Indianapolis, I did, if I didn't leave in my mid-20s, I would, I would end up like my brother. I would not be alive. Mm-hmm. I, have no, I have no doubt about that. Right. Well, it's, so, and I have you know, a great life now. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm successful. I'm happy. I've got a great career. So, that's yeah, cool. it all changes. That's wonderful. And, you know, I think you're a role model to your nieces and nephews. Yeah, maybe. That would yeah. be nice, actually. I think Please. so. Well, it's, that's interesting you say that because almost all of them, to a T, look at my relationship with my husband, and they said that's they it's, it's, they admire what we've done. Yeah, and I, I think that's really kind of interesting that they See? look to the gay couple in the family yeah. and they admire our relationship. Well, interesting it's courage it took yep. a lot of courage, and yep. you know, you just stood strong with what you believed in, and yep. you didn't need anyone dictating the way to live your life. That's exactly right, and, and I tell them often that uh, D- David and I, my husband and I, we live our lives on our own terms. Right. We, we have decided to be together. We have decided this is our life, and we've decided this is how we're going to live our life. Yes. Yeah, so absolutely. So where can people find out more about you? You can go to my website. It's Draw Barnes. That's Dr. D-R-A-W Barnes.com. Perfect. And anything else you'd like to leave the listeners with? Uh, go buy my book and have a happy new year. All right. <laughs> Congratulations and happy new year and thanks for calling in. Thank you very much. Okay. This was a pleasure. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Bye-bye. All Bye-bye. That was Andy Barnes calling in to talk about his book, The Dark Eclipse, Reflections on Suicide and Absence. I know this might sound like a downer of a book to wrap up the end of the year, but, you know, this time of year people get really depressed. The holidays are very hard on people. And um, I reviewed this book and I thought, this is perfect for my show because I lost a friend of mine a few a few years ago, eight years ago. And, um, you know, a lot of times I always say to everybody that writing is so cathartic because it really is. So it doesn't matter how long it takes you to put it down on paper and you don't have to edit yourself. Just you know, start somewhere, start a little bit. And especially writing is so, so healing and helpful. So, all right. So if you missed any part of this conversation with A.W. Barnes, Andy, uh, it is going to be on the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kfci.org within an hour after I wrap. And right now the bio, his bio and all the info is up on there right now. I want to let you know that I'm on Twitter at moms, M-O-M-Z underscore rock. I'm, uh, we are on Twitter at KCIFM, Instagram, KCIFM. Tumblr, blog.kci.org, and Facebook, KCI 88.9. We'll take a short break, and then we will be back. You are listening to KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Hi, this is Anna Birch, and you're listening to KUCI in Irvine.